morning. Good to have you with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be able to gather in this place together. Uh, what a nation uh, where we have these freedoms that we can celebrate. And in this freedom that we have, God, would you be our teacher? Would you speak to us as we enter back into the story of the life of Moses? God, uh, we, uh, we find a lot in common with him. And uh, this morning, God, would you speak to us, each one, in a way that guides us further down the path of becoming more like Jesus and being more of who he wants us to be. Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you, Lord. This is a marker in our week each week, just to be able to remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and who you are, Father, what kind of Father you are, and Holy Spirit, how vitally important you are in empowering us to be more like Jesus. So be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about this thing of reaching out or this thing of serving others. If you follow Jesus, it's one of the things, in fact, that he calls you and me to do. If you know who Jesus is, if you know his identity, then you know, of course, that he is the Son of God, the unique Son of God. He is very much of one substance with the Father. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Jesus is the wisest, the smartest, the kindest, the best man who ever lived. Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. And each one of those could be a sermon in itself. But that's Jesus' identity. If you know Jesus' identity, you also need to know something of his mission uh, hopefully you understand why he came. Jesus made it very clear that he came to seek and to save who? The lost. People who were spiritually lost, people who were disconnected from God the Father. He came to die for their sins, our sins, because that's what separates us from the Heavenly Father. Jesus rose from the dead and in so doing made it very, very clear that he had conquered, he had overcome, he had defeated our greatest enemies, our enemies of sin and our enemies of death. And Jesus gives life to people. That's what he meant when he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He has life actually to give, not just eternal life, but rich and meaningful and satisfying life today. Knowing those two things are absolutely critical, the identity of Jesus, also the mission of Jesus. But there's something else, frankly, that's just as important for us to know. Uh, if you know the identity and you know Jesus' mission, you also need to know and embrace and wrestle with this thing of Jesus calling on our lives. He said one time to some fishermen, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, perhaps if he'd have been talking to people in another occupation, he would have said something a little different, but his point was very clear. He's saying, instead of your life being just about gathering fish and the bottom line that comes with that, I'll make it also about gathering people gathering people into my family, into my kingdom, gathering people to me. That's what Jesus was saying. And that, friends, is a huge part of your calling and mine as we seek to follow Jesus. Uh, now, the way that we each do this is going to be quite different, uh, and that's because we are all quite different. Some of us are talkers. Some of us are doers, right? Some of us are kind of uh, detailed people. Uh, some of us are not, not so much. Some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, you get the idea. Some of us are gifted at planning and administration and leadership. Others more gifted at things like hospitality or even some of the musical skills and abilities that you see uh, among the different men and women who get up here on the stage. 
Some are gifted in teaching. We're all different. That's the point. Very, very different. God made us that way. He celebrates our differences. He created those differences. Different spiritual gifts, different skills, different abilities. But the one thing we all share, calling. We all share the same calling. Jesus says that he wants us to come follow him. Now, unfortunately, often churches break down into two groups of people, kind of like a sporting event, right? Uh, There are those who play and there are those who watch. Uh, There are people on the playing field and there are people up in the stands. And of course, the game, whatever the game is, really is in the hands of the players. Am I right? I mean, it's, it's their gifts, their abilities that count. They are the ones shooting. They're the ones jumping. They're the ones hitting and guarding and fielding and defending and running the plays and executing the game plan. Spectators, well, they just sit and watch. They cheer a little bit. Their gifts, their skills, their abilities don't really make a difference, not in the game, only the players. Nobody says to a spectator, wow, uh, your skills at cheering won the game for us. Now, you do hear this after a Super Bowl victory, all this gobbledygook about how great the fans are, but the fans had next to nothing to do with the victory. Uh, you know, wow, your cheering won the game for us. Nobody thinks to themselves either, you know what, I'm going to hone my spectator abilities. I'll start by rooting for a minor league team and then maybe just uh, at home, you know, in my family room. But as I get better and better, then I'm going to someday attend a major league game and eventually maybe even buy season tickets and I'll hold a regular position in the stands as a key spectator and I'll be playing a vital role on the team. Yeah, not so much. Not really. Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. Spectators watch. But imagine what would happen. Say you're at a Rockies game, and, and while the players are warming up on the field, the game hasn't begun yet. Suddenly, there's this commotion in the rock pile. One of the spectators comes out of the rock pile and down onto the playing field and says, you know what? I'm tired of watching. I've watched, and I've watched, and I've watched. I'm tired of watching. Life is too short. I'm leaving the stands. I'm getting in the game. And what if his friends, some of them were to come with him, and then more and more fans down onto the field. Others follow. Pretty soon there would be thousands of fans down on the field all saying, you know what, we're tired of watching too. We want to play the game. We want to run. We want to throw. We want to hit. We want to field. Our days of just sitting in the stands are over. We're not going to be spectators anymore. We are going to be players, they say. Imagine. I mean, if that were to happen at Coors Field, that would sort of uh, completely change the paradigm of the game, wouldn't it? Fundamentally different experience. Now everybody engaged, everybody playing. I mean, it would be chaos, but you know, you have to come up with a different plan. Everybody engaged, playing, hitting, fielding, running. Now, uh, at the same time, you, you could kind of obviously make this analogy with regards to churches. And that's, of course, what I'm trying to do. What if the spectators decided to be players? What if everybody understood that Jesus calls them to be a player, to be a servant, to be, as it were, a minister, a minister of the gospel, living out of the gospel? You see, there's no such thing as a division between priests and clergy and professionals and everybody else who's just a spectator. God's desire. In fact, Jesus' call is for all of his followers to get onto the field and participate, get playing in the game. We call it here reaching out. 
That's just the label we've given it. We teach about this uh, in what Tim mentioned a little earlier, this thing, this class that meets us uh, actually during the next service, starting point. And we do that because we very badly want to help people identify how God has put them together and how God has gifted them personally with their abilities, with their spiritual gifts so that they can impact others, be a blessing to others, help gather others into the family about Jesus. Because when we do that, understand it delights God. We're doing what Jesus has called us to do. It fills the very heart of God with joy. And I might add, just as a side note, it also fills you with satisfaction and purpose. I really believe that. You see, when you see God use you to bless others, use you to bring others to himself, that's when your life, regardless of what you do as a profession, a vocation, but when you are pursuing God this way and impacting others in this manner, your life becomes riddled with purpose because of what you're doing and where you're doing it. When the church is working this way, everybody's involved. Everybody's serving. Everybody's using their, their skills, their abilities, and their resources. And the church just kind of comes alive. It becomes vibrant. It becomes strong in its witness to people that Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. The church becomes a team. It becomes a family on mission is a phrase that some have used. Spectators become players. And everything is better with blue bonnet on it, is what I hear myself saying. But, but you get the idea. Are you with me so, so far? Yeah. So in Exodus 18, you know, we've been in this study of the, the life of Moses. Um, we really see the beginning of this awareness, the beginning of this movement where more of God's people than just one or two or three or five become players, not spectators. Exodus 18, this is what we read. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. Picture that. <laughs> they just stood around him, right? When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? <laughs> Apparently it wasn't enough. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Again, picture that. Moses answered him, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and, and I decide it. I decide between the parties, and I inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. Remember, Jethro's not even an Israelite, but he's observing the phenomenon of how the, the people of Israel function, and he's reflecting back to his son-in-law yeah, what you're doing, it's not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. In other words, may God help you see the truth of the advice I'm about to give you is what he's saying. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. That's indisputable. He's not disagreeing with Moses there. But he says, here's what you ought to be doing. Teach them the decrees and the laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case, meaning every case that's just way out of your league. 
Bring, it doesn't mean any case that, that, that's challenging, but bring every difficult case, a case they can't solve, the simple case, uh, bring them to Moses. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. They'll have what they need. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said, and he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they they decided themselves. And then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. God makes it very clear through this father-in-law, Jethro, that for the health of the people, more people need to lead, more people needed to serve. The ministry, the serving, the gathering, the leading, the judging must be shared. You need the gifts of all the people, everybody contributing. That's the picture here. And this message just keeps getting more and more clear and certainly more and more pronounced as we come into the New Testament. So this morning, I've got three simple questions for us. Questions that I hope will help us evaluate ourselves in this area, okay? Okay. First question is this. Do you know you have a calling? I mean, think about how you see yourself as a follower of Jesus. Do you see yourself as one who represents Jesus in many and various forms, represents Jesus to others? one who serves others in the name of Jesus because of the love of Jesus? Uh, do you see yourself as one who is a, you know, it's, it's just part of your personal identity to be an ambassador, to be a representative, to be a servant? Understand, you, we're supposed to. In Exodus 18, uh, that passage that we just read actually challenges traditional ways of thinking. It gives us a fundamentally new way of thinking about the church, or the people of God. You remember, of course, uh, in Egypt, the, uh, everything revolved around the Pharaoh. That's the way the system was set up. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt probably for uh, almost 400 years, and the organizational chart of Egypt was pretty simple. It was just a two-tiered chart, Pharaoh on the top and everybody else on the bottom. Everybody else was kind of a gopher. Even if you were nobility, you had to do what the Pharaoh wanted you to do. That Pharaoh was the one who called the shots. And now that God's people have been delivered out of Egypt, it's not a coincidence that the organizational chart for Israel looks similar. There's Moses at the top, and everyone else is under Moses, period. Exodus describes Moses as a judge. It describes him as the political leader. It describes him as a military commander. It describes him as a council giver. It describes him as a prophet. In the passage we just read, we, we read about people who stand around and wait for Moses to make decisions so that they know what to do or where to go. And Moses will give the orders. Moses will call the shots. Moses and Moses alone will hear from God and has wisdom from God. I mean, Moses is the player, right? Everybody else is a spectator. So all day long, the people watch Moses and they see him coming and going up the mountain, sometimes back down the mountain into the tent of meeting in order to meet with God and busy with the work of God. Moses, of course, was God's mouthpiece to the people. And nothing wrong with that, except that 
the funnel got very tight, you know, when it came to getting that word out to people and administering truth to people. He was the only one wise enough, or so they thought, to lead, to guide, to teach, to judge. You know, there's a saying, we, we sometimes hear this, it's a silly one, but, you know, it's, it's like you'll say to somebody, you know, you to man, right? You know, it's a silly say, you to man, you know. That means you got what it takes. You're the one we're looking to. You to man. Well, that was Moses. Everybody's standing around, you know, their hands are in their pockets. They didn't really have pockets. They had tunics of some sort, but I believe they had pockets sewn inside. And uh, they're looking at Moses and they're saying, you to man, Moses, you to man. You know, you do it, buddy. Only two problems. The man was overwhelmed and the people were underserved. Did you notice that in the passage that we read? And Jethro sees this and he says, this is not good. This is not going to work. Jethro's like the first organizational consultant. He sees the span of care issue going on here. There's a whole nation needing care, needing wisdom, needing judges, needing leadership, and there's only one caregiver, only one leader. This is not going to work, and Jethro sees this, and he, he knows this is bad, and by God's grace, he points it out. God gives him wisdom to see that, and this is the beginning of God's call on all people to minister and serve. For the community of God's people, to be multifaceted in its leadership. Now, by the time we get to the New Testament, this theme is developed way more fully. Um, we learn that God calls everyone who follows Jesus to be a prophet, to be a priest, and to be a king. Uh, to be a prophet like Jesus in that we speak truth to people. Now, not, not uh, in, in a judgmental fashion, condemning fashion, not in a, hey, I know everything fashion, but nevertheless, if you follow Jesus, I hope you know some truth, and, and there are appropriate times when you speak that truth into the lives of people around you, particularly into the lives of people you love. This past week, I was gone. I went to visit my youngest son, and, and uh, it was really, a, we don't get to see Graham, my youngest son, very often, and part of what I was going up there for, he is in Jackson, Wyoming, was just to listen, find out kind of what's going on in his life, and speak truth into his life. I, I hope he enjoyed it and appreciated it. You'll have to call him and see. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe I'll never get an invite back. But anyway, sometimes we, we work as prophets. Just, well, you know, here's the truth that I understand from Jesus. Sometimes we work as priests. I did a lot of this with my son too, reminding him of how Jesus loves him, reminding him of, of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, just reminding him. Of, it's that thing of mercy. Priests minister mercy. Well, guess what? If you know the mercy of Jesus, you are called to to minister, administer that mercy to others. Part of our calling. It's one of the ways that we serve. The other one is, is being a king. Everybody likes that. I'll take the king role. But actually the king thing is really one more of justice is what that's talking about. Administer justice. Do the right thing for people. Help people when they are confronted with, you know, injustice. These are the things that we do as Christ followers. This is how we serve others. And in the New Testament, too, we learn that this is going to be done by, by Gentiles and Jews and by slaves and free and by men and women. It's very interesting. Uh, all serving, all leading, all gathering and uh, Peter wrote to Christians, these were Christians who were actually being persecuted, and they were scattered uh, at the time, and he wrote these words to them. He, to them, he said, you are a chosen people. That's a very Israelite word or concept, because they understand themselves to be chosen. 
So when Peter was writing to these Christians, he says, I want you to understand yourselves as being the same kind of people as Israel. You're a chosen people. God has chosen you. I've shared before, you know, I was adopted. My mom chose me. That makes me better than you because I'm a chosen individual, right? But that is the idea. God chose us and brought us into his family, right? How cool is that? That's actually just magnificent. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You know, this was one of the texts that a guy named Martin Luther back in the 1500s read and studied, and it convinced him that there was something wrong about this clergy-laity dichotomy in the church. And Martin Luther came to the conclusion, and so many other reformers, that you know what? When you get right down to it, we really are all priests. We're a royal priesthood. A holy nation, he says. A people belonging to God. There's our identity. That you may declare the praises of him who called you. There's that calling we've been called. Called to do what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says everybody's got a calling. If you know Jesus, you have a calling. You don't get to not have a calling. There is no longer such a thing as a player versus a spectator or clergy versus lay people. We are all a royal priesthood. We are all a holy nation. We are all a people belonging to God so that together we can declare his praises. So the church is this gathering of people, ordinary people, right? Who are this, we have this amazing life calling, a calling to represent Jesus to others through what we say and through what we do. That is our calling. Are you with me so far? Here's a question for you, just kind of by way of application. Do you see yourself that way? Or, or maybe you see yourself as, you know, I attend church. Well, that's good. That's a piece of, you know, regularly worshiping Jesus. I'm not going to discount that. But you've got a truncated view of who you are and what your calling is if it stops there. Yeah. Um, do you know you have a calling? That's the question. So we're going to practice a little liturgy. We didn't do a lot of liturgy in the early part of the service this morning. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna inject a liturgy to this right now. This is just a way for us to be reminded that we have this important calling. What I want you to do is I want you to look at the person to your left or the person to your right. If you came with somebody, if you didn't, you know, just I was gonna say man up. That's very gender prejudice, but you know, um, I can't think of an alternative. Man up and. Uh, and just say this to each other. Just, just look them in the eye and go, you the man. Can you say that? Can you do that? This is our liturgy. You're reminding each other of this calling. You the man. And we don't mean that in any, you know, single gender thing. It's just a, you the man. You have a calling. Okay, that's point number one. Here's question number two. Are you living out that calling? Are you reaching out? Are you actively serving Jesus Christ by serving other people, actively serving folks in his name? I don't just mean, are you being a nice woman? Are you being a nice guy? I mean, that's good to be nice, but I'm talking about serving in the name of Jesus, serving others. As I said earlier, there are essentially two kinds of churches, really. I mean, this is a bit of an oversimplification, but you get what I'm driving at here. There are pastor-driven churches and and I think there are people-driven churches. Pastor-driven churches are churches that watch pastors minister. Pastors do all the real 
ministry. They do all the teaching, all the counseling, all the visiting, all the shepherding, all that stuff gets done by pastors. Others in the church just show up whenever the pastors call meetings to cheer the pastor on, right? Friends, that's not God's will for his people. In fact, that doesn't work, not very long. God's will is to show himself to others through you and me, through us, collectively. He wants all of us to be sharing our faith out there in ways appropriate. In those moments when people want to know about your faith, he doesn't want you to get on a soapbox and preach at people, but he does want you to be ready to field their questions, to share with humility the truth about Jesus, the gospel, this thing we celebrate about who Jesus is. He wants us to do that. Share our faith out there, whether it's where you work, when appropriate, or where you go to school, or where you recreate, and with friends that you care about. He wants us all to be inviting others also to join us here. Do you know that? And then when they show up, you know, welcome them. Be glad that they're here, even if they're sitting in your sacred seat. I think he wants us to make everything that we do here on a Sunday morning to be really about as good as we can make it whether that's uh, here in our worship, whether it's singing up here or playing an instrument or teaching or controlling sound back there in the booth or serving students or children when children or students gather or welcoming people and showing hospitality or whether that's us serving together outside these walls, which we try to do, what is it, three times a year. We try to gather as a church and go out there just to Find ways in the community to serve. Shiloh House, third story. Uh, this July, we're building the playground, as Tim mentioned. We hope you'll show up. Show up with your stuff, your tools. Why do we do that? Well, you know, there's no magic to it. But we are saying to a local park district, hey, we are a church here. We love Jesus. And we do really believe he wants us to love the community. And this is one way to serve it. It's not the way. Maybe it's not even the best way, but it's a way to love on local communities. We hope you'll join us for that. It's just a great, great opportunity. The point is this, whether here or whether outside these walls where we work or volunteer or recreate or whatever, God wants others to know that he is real. And others come to see that when we sacrificially serve. That's one of the primary times, the primary ways that they see the reality of God. When God's people show up to love on, to care about, and to serve other people. When we use our abilities and our spiritual gifts and our knowledge to reach out and serve them in Jesus' name. That's just the way it works. And I am thrilled to say we have lots of people here at Deer Creek Church who do this. They take this calling thing very, very seriously. I asked our staff this past week if any of them had some people who they, they just totally appreciate. Who just totally blesses them, blesses our church. And I got back more names and stories than I can actually share with you. It's just amazing to me. At this particular point in the life of our church, we have more people involved serving and loving on others than probably any time by far in the past. Um, Brett uh, sent me this. <clears throat> and again, I, I, I kind of need to say this. We had to twist some of these people's arms to let us tell pieces of their story. They didn't really want this. Uh, <laughs> They were kind of like, uh, you know, I guess you can share that if you have to. We said, okay, thank you. Um, 
So that's kind of the context. But anyway, so Brett sent me this. Brett said, you know what? Our usher team is here each Sunday morning to welcome us at the doors. Any of you get welcome this morning? Any of you? Whoa, the usher. Oh, you did. Okay, good. And they help us find a seat when we come in, even in the extremely rare circumstances somebody comes late. (laughs) And guess what else they do, he says. They clean up our trash in the sanctuary after we leave. Did you know somebody was cleaning up after you, you pig? Did you know that? (laughs) They get here early and they stay late so that we can better connect with God and worship and not be distracted about anything. They show amazing hospitality. Some of our ushers serve almost every Sunday of the year, like Susan Fox and Mark Holmes and Steve Socek and Guy Bowman and others. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to use our little liturgy thing that we, we learned, right? And what we're going to say is, ushers, you demand. We want to shout this out to them. We want them to know that we do think this. We appreciate their service to us. Are you ready? Here we go. Ushers, you demand. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Aaron sent me this. Uh, Aaron said, you know, Bev Harima, immediately, uh, these people are squirming in their seats if they're here. <laughs> I apologize, but we do love these people, and they, they love on this church. Bev Harima immediately comes to mind, he said. Bev has been involved in the worship ministry at Deer Creek Church for over 15 years. She serves as a keyboard player, a vocal director, helps give valuable direction to the ministry in general. Bev has been able to give feedback as a professional songwriter on the song repertoire that we use here at Deer Creek, helping shape our worship culture as a church. Her attention to theological detail, musicality, and singability has served our congregation tremendously. Through all the transitions with worship ministry over the years, she has continued to serve faithfully and provide steady leadership as a volunteer. Thank you, Bev, he says, for using your gifts to serve our church and all the people who visit here. So we're going to say this again. We're going to say, Bev, you demand. Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. Bev, you demand. There we go. There we go. Tim sent me this. Tim said, the things we do as a church are made possible by many people who work behind the scenes to manage the administrative needs of the church. One of these is Gary Peters. He recently retired from a career in corporate finance and now serves as our treasurer. He helps keep me on track and all of us out of jail. That is a true <laughs> statement. Not, not because we're uh, you know, absconding with funds we shouldn't be, but I mean, Gary, Gary keeps the whole deal on track around here, and, that, and that's the truth. Uh, and we're thankful for that. I don't want to be in jail. So believe it or not, Tim says, pastors spend years in seminary learning to parse Greek words and conjugate Hebrew verbs. Amen? But are given zero instruction on the basics of nonprofit finances. <laughs> in a season of life where Gary could make everything just all about him and what he wants to do with his time, Gary chooses to serve our church using his gifts and abilities. And he doesn't do it to be noticed or recognized, but to be a blessing to our community and a servant to Jesus. How cool is that? I think mean, that's major cool. So we're going to say, <clears throat> Gary, you demand. Are you ready? Here we go. Gary, you demand. Here we go. Uh, I got this from Joseph. Joseph shares that uh, Susan Lee has been a faithful member and a leader at Deer Creek for years. Recently, she stepped up in a huge way to assist in a new role at the church as a small group coach. With over 40 groups meeting at certain points in the year, we rely 
on these coaches, outstanding lay coaches, to come alongside our many small group leaders and to really be a safety net of support for them as they are pouring into their group leaders. Coaches do this through prayer. They pray consistently for these leaders, being a listening ear and even a helpful resource during crisis. These past several months, Susan was able to use her gifts of leadership and service to meet with and encourage and challenge and intercede for five different small group leaders and to bless them so that they could bless the people in their groups. That, friends, is awesome. That's part of the backbone of our ministry here. How cool is that? Joseph, too, is excited to announce that he got Susan to sign a 10-year contract. Is that right, Susan? <laughs> oh, you hadn't heard about that. Okay. Well, anyhow, these people who serve in this way, like Susan is, this is immensely important. So here we go. We're, we're going to say, Susan, you demand. You ready? Susan, you demand. Yeah. Um, Trevor. Trevor sent me this. Trevor says, I have an amazing group of volunteers. And this is really true. An amazing group of volunteers who serve as opposed to all those other people who are lying. I heard myself say that. I thought, no. Trevor says, I have an amazing group of volunteers who serve in the youth ministry. And I wish I could write about all of them, but I only get one. So we chose Tyler Brinks. Tyler Brinks is a husband, a father, a business owner, and an elder at Deer Creek Church. On top of that, he has served as a volunteer in the youth ministry for over 12 years. Every Wednesday night, Tyler showed up and leads by example. He loves his middle school boys well. He has a group of middle school boys that he's discipled and has been discipling various groups over the years. And he shows them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Wow. He does this week in, week out. Tyler does the big things like giving up a weekend to take 25 middle school students to a winter retreat and giving up nine days of his time to help lead a mission trip of high schoolers to Guatemala, and this actually is next week, even though he's not a high school leader. Wow, amazing. Tyler also does the small things like helping me clean up after youth group, Trevor says. He's someone I can run ideas by, get feedback from, and if I need something done, he helps me do it. I am so grateful for servant leaders like Tyler. His dedication, his wisdom and love for this youth group and our church is massively impactful. He encourages and inspires me tremendously. It's an understatement to say that our youth group, and I would add our church, wouldn't be the same without him. So we're going to say, Tyler, you demand. You with me? Here we go. Tyler, you demand. Now I got one more. This is about me. <laughs> I just want to hear you say, Dwayne, you no, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is from Josh. This is from Josh. Josh says this. As with all the ministries here at Deer Creek Church, Deer Creek Kids requires a huge team to make sure each child is safe, formative, and has a fun experience every Sunday. If you follow us on Facebook, you've seen many of our volunteers highlighted, and that's pretty cool because Josh has been doing that. He's been kind of featuring different ones who just serve uh, consistently there in the the children's ministry. You can hear their stories if you uh, go to our Facebook page. Uh, He says, but right now, uh, I'd love to highlight the Roberts family. This is David and Jill and Asher and Tabitha. They all together lead and disciple the two-year-olds here. Now, think about this. This is a pretty cool thing. They thought, you know what? Our family could do this. This, I just, wow. I mean, I want to give them a standing ovation. He says, the twos, Josh writes, can be a tough time of transition for many kiddos in our children's ministry. However, the Roberts family 
bring such energy and intentional care uh, to these little ones that it eases this transition for them. Each time I walk into their small group gatherings, I see smiles on the kids' faces and enthusiastic responses as they learn together, you know, about Jesus. The Roberts family make a real difference in the lives of these little ones, and they do this week in, week out. I am so thankful for each of them, he says. Now, we're going to say something a little different. This is David, this is Jill, this is Asher, and this is Tabitha. So, so what we're going to say is, hey, we're going to say, you to fam, okay? <laughs> we're going to say, you to fam. You with me? There's the Roberts family. Here we go. Let's just say, you to fam. You to fam. Yeah. <laughs> Let's give these folks a hand. I mean, come on. Wow. <laughs> uh, you get the idea. These are people reaching out. I mean, they're serving you, me, others. They're using their gifts and their abilities. I would say they're responding to the call of Jesus on their life. Now, uh, I'm just going to be blunt because I don't know how else to be in this. Some of us here this morning are missing out on this calling this adventure. Um, we know Jesus' identity. We're clear about that. We know his mission, but we ignore Jesus' calling. Some of you who are a regular part of this body in terms of worshiping with us uh, and so, but, but you aren't really serving anyone anywhere. And some of you, you, you once did, I mean, maybe even a lot, but you don't now. And the question would be, why? Now, don't get me wrong. There can be reasons, legitimate reasons, of course. I mean, there can be health reasons. There can be seasons of life that are stress, that just filled with stress and pressure. There can be seasons of overcommitment. I, boy, we, we get that. We, we understand that. There can be reasons for some period of time not to serve. But if you are a part of Deer Creek Church, and if you're not serving somewhere, I would just ask, you know, why not? And I would challenge you, do you have a good reason? Maybe you do. But if you don't have a good reason, why not? Understand, Jesus calls you to follow him. He actually gifts you spiritual gifts to serve others the way he, Jesus, serves you. Uh, he doesn't want us to just be spectators. He wants all of us to be players, to be useful, to be used, whether in here or out there or some combination thereof. Now, the way to put this uh, in motion at Deer Creek Church, we mention all the time. You see, regardless whether you're new at Deer Creek Church or you've been around forever, if you find yourself doing the spectator thing, sitting in the stands, you need to go to starting point. You know, see those cards in front of you there? They talk about next steps, starting points listed there. Uh, it'll tell you when and, uh, and how to get information. This is vitally, vitally important. I would say you need to get acquainted or reacquainted with this church, our mission, and our calling. Because, friends, frankly, we are clearer on that right now than we have ever been in 30-plus years. And that will help you. Figure out how Jesus wants you to reach out and serve and do that in a meaningful, impactful kind of way. And, and maybe you've been around Deer Creek Church for 30 years. You went through the new members class when I taught it. Well, trust me, some pieces of it are the same, but significant parts of it are not. 
the way we talk about ourselves, the things we feel we're called to do, even reach initiative goals, things like the next five years, the things we want to accomplish, all these things get mentioned, get talked about, get, get, get talked about, they get explained with a view towards how do you connect here, you see? That's a big part of what starting point is all about. And again, some of you I know, you've been sitting in the stands for so long, it's just gotten comfortable being a spectator, cheering when it goes well on the field, booing when it goes poorly. I don't want to hear any booing this morning, okay? Um, you can email me that later. But, but how exciting uh, is that really, being a spectator? I mean, it can be exciting. I admit, I bought, you know, fans cheer, stand up and root and roar, usually thinking they're somehow contributing to the, what's going on down there in the field, but all the while, not really. <laughs> um, I would just say, you know, how spiritually fulfilling is that sitting in the stands to you? Is it really helping you grow spiritually? And I would humbly, I hope, offer the observation that that is not good for you spiritually if that's where you're at right now and not for a good reason. Now, that's not good for our church either. Friends, you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize that God called you to serve and you could have taught or led a small group or you could have led in worship or maybe you could sing. Uh, they're not going to let you sing if you can't sing, but maybe you could, uh, you could have led others to know Jesus and participate in something like our Christianity Explored and just learn how to open your home or learn how to participate on a Sunday afternoon leading a small group that lets people explore Christianity at their own pace. Or maybe you could... Uh, help us achieve uh, reach initiative goals, whatever it is. Um, there are things that, lots of things that we can do to serve in these walls and outside them. And yet, for some reason, some of you are not. You're not using your gifts. You're not reaching out to serve others. You're kind of sitting in the stands. You know, Jesus isn't going to say to any of us someday, well done, good and faithful spectator. And... Eh. That's not going to get anything. Well done, good and faithful. Spectator, he's only going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if for whatever reason you've been kind of stuck as a spectator, don't stay stuck. God is calling you to get in the game. You are needed. You could be a vital piece of advancing the kingdom here at Deer Creek Church. And at Deer Creek Church, that process for you in terms of examining and thinking and wrestling with this starts at starting point, uh, which starts today, coincidentally. Dadgummit, how'd that happen? Um, in this second service. I, I've got another question for you, and then we're gonna wrap up and uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Just, just take a second. Uh, if you can say, yes, you know, I, I know I have a calling from Jesus. I, I, that is my identity. I get that. And if you can say, yes, I'm serving others and I am reaching out and I, this is how I serve. And I would just ask you this. Ask yourself this. Am I growing in my humility at the same time that I am growing as a servant? If your answer is yes, I've reached a level of humility that actually amazes myself. We need to talk later. <laughs> Yeah, that's not really the spirit of Christian service. Nor is the spirit of Christian services, dadgummit, I'm serving, why aren't you? You know, that's not, that's not the spirit of Christian service either. It's really a privilege to respond to the call. 
And so this thing of the spirit of Christian service is important for us to just think, for, uh, think about for a moment. Numbers 12, 3 says this about Moses. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's what it says. Wow. That's an amazing statement considering it's made about someone who is at the top of an authority structure because most people at the top of authority structures are not terribly humble. Anybody notice this about any presidents? Yeah, I mean, just in general. I mean, presidents over the decades, are these generally really humble people? Not so much, not usually. They might be gifted people. They might be very good at accomplishing things they want to accomplish. Humility is not often a category or a descriptive term we would use. And yet Moses is more humble than anyone on the face of the planet. He's at the top of this authority structure. Now, this incidentally, too, is why we know that portions of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, were not written by Moses, at least not in their final form, right? Because if you are the most humble person on earth, you don't write, I was the most humble person on the face of the earth. You just don't do that, okay? <laughs> that, just, that doesn't work, Okay. The truth is, this quality, the quality of humility is what enabled Moses to actually be able to share leadership. You see, it wasn't just all about him. It's what enabled him to rejoice when he saw others leading and serving well. There's a story in Numbers 11. The people are grumbling again, right? They want meat. They've been eating manna. They're tired of eating manna. Uh, Moses is complaining also. He can't bear the burdens of leading these Israelites, and he's complaining. And so God tells him to single out 70 elders, 70 leaders, and God is going to give them the same spirit that he had given Moses. Now, who is that spirit? the Holy Spirit, right? Same spirit we have in the New York. It's the Holy Spirit. This is what we read. It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with Moses and uh, he took of the spirit that was on him, Moses, and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, it says, but they did not do so again, but they prophesied. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They hadn't come out with the other elders to this place of meeting. And they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. And yet the spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp, back where everybody was, you know, all the tents were, back where everybody was camping. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Moses, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, we've stopped them. We've got to stop these guys. People are going to see that they can do the same thing that you've been doing. We have to stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And here we see the humble heart of Moses. He longs for the people to be gifted, to use those gifts to bless others. Moses' mind is a million miles away from needing to hear, Moses, you demand, you know, only you demand, you know. Moses wants others to prophesy and others to lead and others to serve. Moses could say, and he could mean it, I don't want to be the only prophet around here. Would to God that all of God's people were prophets and serving God's people together. And of course, the, the day did come 
uh, when uh, God himself poured out his spirit on all his children so that we could be servants to each other and servants to others. That day happened because of Jesus. It's the day we refer to as the day of Pentecost. Moses' spirit of humility and service, understand, existed because of who the Holy Spirit is, because of who the Heavenly Father is, because of who Jesus is is that's where this spirit of humility originates, has its home. Um, The Apostle Paul describes Jesus this way. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held onto is the, the point, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's Jesus. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, you see, is the one true source, the original source of humility and servanthood. It's God. In particular, it's Jesus. Nobody has served you or me like Jesus has. It's displayed right on the table here in front of me, in front of you. And this morning we come to that table as broken, fallen, sinful followers who mess up all the time when it comes to our calling. And yet he keeps calling. And he keeps forgiving and he keeps empowering us to serve each other and to serve others in Jesus' name. And so we come to this table confessing our sins. (laughs) There's, uh, I'm pretty sure there's nobody here who can come to this table not confessing their sins, meaning you don't have any to confess. Maybe you are the most humble person on the face of the earth, yeah. (laughs) We are, uh, we are incredibly blessed to get to eat this meal with each other and more importantly with Jesus, our great high priest, the great prophet, the great king, the one who has served us by laying down his life. In the upper room, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come to the table and we partake of this bread, we want to be remembering Jesus, thinking about Jesus, reminding ourselves what Jesus did for us, how he served us. You might also want to remind yourself of the calling that you have as well. Jesus took the cup in the upper room and he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He gave it to the disciples and told them to drink, to eat. And as they did so, they were really partaking of this sacrament that Jesus was instituting. And it's a sacrament that communicates grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness to us. So what we'll do is we'll have uh, some folks up front here in stations and you'll get up out of your seats and you'll come to your, move to your left and come forward and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the the goblets without the bracelet, which are juice or the goblets 
with the bracelet on the stem, which are wine, and, uh, and you'll partake, partake of this sacramental meal. As I pray, I'm going to ask those to come forward uh, and take their place up here who are going to serve, um, but please pray with me. Father, we, uh, we do come to this table mindful of our brokenness, our fallenness, our sinfulness, but in the very same breath, mindful of our, our forgiveness, the healing and the wholeness that your spirit seeks to work in us. We come with thankful, grateful hearts, Lord, that, that you sent Jesus to be our servant. And we come to this table in faith, faith believing in Jesus' identity, in Jesus' mission, and embracing his calling. Heal us, strengthen us, fill us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.